I'm wondering uh, when the last time was that your expectations were exceeded. <clears throat> When's the last time your expectations were exceeded? As you know, uh, Colleen and I went back to Ontario to visit Colleen's folks. and After that, we had a few days. We thought we'd sort of make it a bit of a, a vacation and, uh, and visit our son Owen in Toronto. And, he has a very, very, very small apartment, so we couldn't stay with him. Um, so we decided that we'd stay in downtown Toronto at a hotel. And uh, I don't know, when we had kids, for some reason, we would always stay at the Delta Chelsea, which is right out in Young, down on Young Street, basically, right in the heart of things. Uh, I don't know, we used to be able to afford to do that. I, I don't know. Um, I looked up the prices for the Delta Chelsea, and I don't know. Their service must have changed because they're a lot more expensive than I was willing to pay. So I kept going down the list of hotels. I wanted to be downtown. It's only two days were there. So, uh, anyways, I found the Super 8. Super 8. Pardon me? Well, I could have gone to the But, you know, the Super 8, I, you know, I thought, oh, man, you know, Super 8. So we went down there to the Super 8, uh, which was right on, uh, right on Spadina, which is right in Chinatown. Actually, the Chinatown Mall is part of the Super 8 uh, hotel. So, I mean, you know, you want Chinese food, just pop out of the room there. And so I thought, oh, you know, like my expectations had already gone down significantly. And so um, we checked in, and, and wouldn't you know the guy says, we're going to upgrade you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm still thinking it's the Super 8, so what's that mean, right? <laughs> so uh, anyways, uh, I thought that was great. And we go into this place, and it was like this, it was awesome. It was like two bedrooms and a lounge and like a dining area. It was like all for the price of a queen room. And I thought, wow, my expectations were exceeded. It's awesome. I like this definition of uh, expectation. Uh, expectation is the degree of probability that something will occur. And I like the definition because it speaks about the fluidity of our expectations. It seems like our expectations are on sort of a sliding scale, right? Um, for, for instance, that the sun will come out. I expect the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, it's that, that's a pretty low expectation, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, that it would be a very high expectation that I would expect that I'm going to inherit a fortune tomorrow. Um, that's not going to happen. So I have a very, you know, that's kind of crazy to think that way. Um, I'm a Maple Leaf fan, as you know. So, you know, you have to learn how to manage your expectations, right? <laughs> I've been managing my expectations since of being a child with the Maple Leafs. And uh, so at the beginning of this year, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're saying that they're going to be good. And then, oh, man, the year went on, and my expectations started rising. And then, you know, I'm, I'm talking it up. I'm saying, this is the year. Stanley Cup. <laughs> they went out in the first round, but they did well, right? So, you know, Leafs... Managing expectations as a leaf, leaf fan is, these are good days for us. 
but we manage our expectations. Today I want you to, to think about this just for a second. What are your expectations when it comes to being a Christian and the quality of your life? What is your expectation of God and His impact or effect on your life? For some of us, the expectation is actually pretty low. Um, actually, being a Christian is more of a duty and an obligation than anything else. We kind of know that it's for real, but it's a bit of a drag. It's a bit of a burden. I mean, I've got to give my Sunday mornings up. For others, somewhere on that sliding scale of probability and expectation, um, we might see that there's advantage that comes along with the responsibility of being a Christian. And so, you know, some of the advantages might be that there's a social network or um, I get some inspiration, that sort of thing. And then for others, expectation of being a follower of Jesus Christ is super high because our faith is our life. It's what we're all about. It's, it's the joy. It's, it's what we live for. And so our expectations of how our faith is going to affect the quality of our life, and of course you'd have to define quality because People might be thinking in terms of material things, or you might be thinking in terms of emotional things, or you might be thinking in terms of emotional things, like or um, uh, uh, financial things, whatever you know. Quality is. How does your faith affect the quality of your life? You know, Scripture clearly presents a very high expectation for us of how our faith should impact our life. And, and, and what our expectations of God should be. They should be high. We should be thinking that our expectations actually shall be exceeded by God. I take that from Ephesians where Paul writes these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or we can even imagine. So as high as our expectation could be as to the quality and the experience of being a Christian. As high as that could be, this scripture tells me that God can far exceed that. You can't even imagine what God wants for us, what God wants for you. Is your experience with Jesus one of exceeded expectation. Exceeded expectation is what comes to mind when, we, when I read this next 
part of Acts. As you know, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're in Acts 3 now. And expected, exceeding expectations is what comes to my mind when I read this passage. I'm going to read from Acts 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now this, this account... Uh, without saying a lot about its being subject, the lame beggar, that's, that's what the title is in my passage of scripture in my Bible, the lame beggar, um, speaks volumes about the situation that this man is in. We don't, we don't get his name. <laughs> you know, I think of the nameless, faceless people in this world that are kind of even below the dignity of, of having a name, in the, in the sense of nobody knows their name. Uh, you know, why would you want to know a lame beggar's name? Um, he's a burden. Quite frankly, he's a burden. He's got to be carried every day to the temple court and put there by somebody, presumably somebody who's taking care of him, because he can't take care of himself. And in a sense, he's less a person and more a caricature of a person. He kind of represents, or he's the personification of poverty, of misfortune, of inconvenience. He's a nuisance, quite frankly. He's the guy you walk by every day, and he kind of gets on your conscience a little bit. He's a nuisance because he asks you for something. And in his culture, and in his time... He personifies sin. Because people that were ill were that way because they were sinners. According to the thought of the day, if you were lame, it was either something you did or maybe your parents did. It had something to do with sin. He's persona non grata. He's a nobody. He's a cipher. Let's think, you know, really, he's probably one of hundreds, maybe thousands of people in Jerusalem that kind of fit that description. He's nameless, faceless. He's just a lame beggar that we've seen a million times before. But like us, he needed to manage his expectations. What were his expectations? I believe the lame beggar's expectations were shaped by his lot in life. And I am sure they were extremely low expectations of what he was going to experience in life. He perhaps hoped to get a meager amount of finances that would contribute or help those who, out of generosity, were helping him out. 
I'm sure every day he felt like a burden. And perhaps even the people that took care of him made him feel like a burden. So his expectation from his lot in life was basically, oh, I just hope I get a little bit to help out because I know I'm a burden. His expectations were limited by his past experiences. I find it really interesting in this passage where, where Luke is, gets really specific about this encounter between uh, Peter and John and, the, and this, this man. This is how it goes. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and said, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. You see, his past experience had taught him not to expect much. In fact, he doesn't even look at the guys. You've seen this happen on the street, right? Where there are beggars and they don't even look at you. Why don't they look at you? They don't expect to get anything from you. And they're going to say this one million times today. And, 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 and maybe... They're going to get a handout. So Peter and John, he sees them coming, looks away. Can you give me something? He's not even looking at them. And Peter says, look at us. He's not even looking at them. He's, his expectations are not high. He doesn't even look at them. But then when he says, when Peter says, look at us, he looks at them and he says, wow, I might get something. From these guys. I believe the lame beggar's requests were conditioned by his expectations. I am sure that he had long ago given up on the idea that people are inherently good and generous and will take care of people that are in need. I'm sure. He didn't believe that anymore. All he could do, all he could expect was, you know, somebody feeling guilty, somebody would give him a little bit of help for whatever reason. Maybe they had some loose change in their tunic. But the lame beggar's expectations were exceeded by God. Scripture goes on, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping. Jumping blows my mind. If I've been a, a lame guy for, for my whole life, the last thing I'm going to do is jump, thinking that when I land, I can wreck them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not jumping. I'm going to stay on solid ground. But he jumps. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit Banging at the temple. There it is, the caricature. There's that guy who used to sit by the temple courts begging. No name. 
<laughs> or the, there's John. Oh, he said such a tough. No, none of that. And there's that guy who's been sitting out by the temple courts. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit but banging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the crux of the matter that I want to present to you today. So please hear this. Instead of getting what he hoped for, which was a handout, right? The lame beggar got what he couldn't have imagined, a hand up. Instead of getting what he hoped for, some cash, the lame beggar got what he couldn't even have imagined, a hand up. Think he'd be disappointed in what he got? Oh, I didn't get what I wanted. Shoot. There's an important lesson here for us when it comes to our expectations and to God. Like the lame beggar, our experience of God in our lives and his impact has been shaped by how we see ourselves and how we process our past experiences. This influences our expectations of God. Perhaps this morning you have come to the point of feeling like a beggar when it comes to God. You feel like you've been passed over. You feel like you're a nobody to God. You feel that He ignores you. You feel like you have to grovel. Quite frankly, some of you might not be that despondent yet. You might actually be angry with God because He doesn't give you what you've been asking for over and over again. And assuming that it has something to do with... Um, assuming that it was something to do with you because you figure that you're unlovely and unlovable. You're a nuisance. You're an inconvenience. You're a sinner, a failure. You deserve this treatment, but you keep hearing these songs about God's love. And yet when you ask Him for something, you don't get it. If this is how you feel this morning, you've been listening to the wrong voice in your head. Sounds a lot more like the voice of the prince of this world who wants to steal and kill and destroy I think of Matthew 7, 7 to 11, when Jesus said these words. He said, which of you, as a parent, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? Or which of you, if they asked you, for a fish, we give him a snake. Like, really? Is that how God is? What Satan would say, don't ask God for, you, you, you know, you're just being naive. Don't ask God for that because you're just going to get a stone. You're just going to get a snake. Could it be that we've 
actually been asking for the wrong thing. I like what James says. He says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you will spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, our expectations are off because we keep asking for stuff that's not that important. <laughs> but we see it as so important. God, who, whose thoughts are not our thoughts and are so much higher than our thoughts, must scratch his head and say, why does this person think that financial security is going to be the best thing for them when I have so much more for you? Maybe you've been asking the wrong questions. You see, if our expectation of, his God, of God is that he will show us his love by giving us what we want, our expectations are unrealistic and shaped by a very myoptic, nearsightedness of what God and what is best for us. Take Paul, for example. He begged to have relief from a thorn. Whatever that thorn was, we don't know exactly. But he received not release from the thorn or deliverance from the thorn. He just... He just got more of the four. <laughs> Why would God do that? Was it because God thought he was a persona non grata? He wasn't important? He was just the guy sitting at the temple court begging? A nuisance? No. God didn't remove the thorn because the best thing for Paul was not to answer his prayer. You see, if he'd removed his thorn, Paul would have gone off the rails. Look what Paul says. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, which is going off the rails, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Lord, for the persecution. Thank you, Lord, for the hard times. Thank you, Lord, for the starvation. Thank you, Lord, for this thorn in my flesh. Because... It's what is best for me. It's what God wants for me. It is God's good for me. Do you believe that? That's what Scripture teaches. Because of our limited nature, we are by nature sinful. Our expectations are likewise very limited. We ask for the wrong things. And what we get, because it's not what we ask for, we devalue. We ask for the wrong things, God gives us something, and we devalue it because it's not what we ask for. 
Is it possible that we've been mistaken? See, Paul's effectiveness in his ministry was enhanced by his thorn, by his troubles, by all of the difficulties. God gave Paul a hand up when he gave him a thorn in his flesh. Do you believe that? It's not how we think. <laughs> we want that thorn gone. Once again, Isaiah says that our thoughts are not his thoughts. There's three things that I know to be true in regard to this issue of expectations. The first one is, I'm nearsighted. I don't get it. I don't get the big picture at all. The second is, God has 20-20 vision when it comes to what's best for me. So I don't get it. He gets it. So I have to take, I have to accept that what I do get in response is God's best for me. Because Scripture says He's always working out the good for me. So maybe I need to do more thinking about what is it that's good about what God's giving me instead of being ticked off at God or disappointed in God or feeling like a beggar in His presence because I don't get what I want. If your thought is that God's goodness to you can only be defined by good health or financial security or relational joy, your expectations of God are very, very low. Hear this. Not being healed. Not knowing where the, the money's going to come from this month. Not meeting that special someone in your life. Not getting that promotion. Maybe God's way of giving you a hand up, which is a far greater gift than a hand out. The most important thing in life is having a vital, vibrant relationship with God. That should frame things and put things in perspective. We need to realign our expectations. We need to know that God could be exceeding our expectations when we think that He's not meeting our expectations. And we need to stop questioning how God sees us based on his responses to our requests. We need to know that we are his treasured child. That we are worth dying for, according to him. And that we have at our disposal all the resources of God. He is for us. He's not against us. He doesn't want us to grovel. He doesn't want us to beg. 
Maybe what we have to do is just change our way of thinking about our expectations. The lame beggar did not get what he asked for. Thank goodness. Right? He got something much better. Will you allow him to exceed your expectations? Will you open your mind? Start with the bedrock that he loves you. Start with the confidence that he's working out the good for you. And then when you ask what you ask, ask it within his will. And then when you get what you get, which in the carnal and the worldly way of thinking might be not what you want. Try to figure out how God is trying to exceed your expectations. Maybe he's trying to give you a hand up, not a hand up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you that we don't have to navigate this life without truth, without absolutes, without certainties. Thank you for being that to us. Thank you for the certainty of your love for us. Thank you for the certainty of how you see us. Thank you for the certainty that you are working out the good for us. Help us, Lord, to see what you do give us in the light of those things, not in the light of what our expectations are. Help us to understand that we are very limited. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.